This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. Another road. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The other day I saw the kind of courier and Ives type Christmas card that you used to get all the time before people started sending photo greetings. It had a sleigh driving on a snowy road headed toward a beautiful country house with a Christmas tree glowing in the window and people waving at the front door. And the road in the painting pulled you toward that stately house and the warm holiday homecoming that you just knew was waiting if you were in that sleigh. I suppose the modern version of this scene would be the Hallmark Christmas movie. Each of these much-parodied products, and there are dozens of them each year, follows the exact same formula. 
a city-dwelling career girl, moves back to her small rural hometown and embraces the simple life just in time for Christmas. There's often an aerial shot of her car on a road leading away from the big, bad, cold-hearted, career-obsessed city and heading into the country where all her problems will be magically solved at the town's annual Christmas festival and the love of a handsome Christmas tree farmer will smooth out every complicated wrinkle of her life. Our Hallmark culture has conditioned us to believe that the road to Christmas is straight and smooth and well-marked that it leads away from pain and confusion and complexity, and that it always brings us to the kind of home where chestnuts roast on an open fire and stockings are hung by the chimney with care and love abounds. I'll be honest with you, that's not the kind of road I'm on this Christmas, and I suspect you might not be either. As I was thinking about this theme this week, the image that kept crashing into my mind was of a clunky old Chevrolet smoke billowing from every crevice, careening off the road and into the woods before getting stuck in a ditch. Here's just a little of what I see from my off-road vantage point just this month alone. A pandemic that has killed more than 800,000 people in the US, some 5 million globally, and seems to have no end in sight. Yet another school shooting, this one ending the lives of four young people and injuring seven, just in time to mark the ninth anniversary of the massacre of 28 children and their teachers at Sandy Hook. A mental health crisis that has outpaced our healthcare system's ability to deal with it. A devastating tornado ripping through Kentucky and killing more than 50, adding to the year's tally of unprecedented storms, forest fires, and record-setting temperatures. This is all part of what some psychologists call our mass trauma, our collective weariness. Closer to home, members of our congregation here at Old South have lost close family members to COVID and one bright, beloved son to addiction. In my own life, there's a broken relationship with a brother who's cut me off because of our political differences. And on the Friday after Thanksgiving, a dear friend of 12 years died unexpectedly in her sleep, leaving behind a husband, two teenagers, and scores of friends who treasured her gracious hospitality, warmth, and humor. My friend Gail was the spirit of Christmas personified. Her beautiful home was the hub of many holiday gatherings, and I will always remember her at my house on Christmas Eve relaxing for a couple of hours before she went home to make a sumptuous Julia Child feast for her extended family. Christmas with an empty chair, an ugly tear in the family fabric, a world that seems to grow darker and scarier by the day. The road just doesn't look like it did on my map. Molly Johnston, a therapist at the Barnabas Center, a Christian counseling ministry, writes, change, pain, betrayal, endings, and brokenness bring a disorienting grief. Grief is being dropped into a foreign country with a strange culture. The people are different. The cultural norms are different, and the language is different. It requires so much energy just to get around. All that was known and familiar is useless. If you're feeling this kind of emotional dislocation, this sense of being dropped in a strange place and not knowing where you're going to end up, 
know this. Your experience is far closer to the real Christmas story than it is to the Hallmark version. The biblical account of Christ's birth is filled with people who thought they were going one place and ended up on another road, headed somewhere entirely different. People who were fearful about what was around the next bend. Joseph likely envisioned a straight road leading from betrothal to marriage to family, but as the Gospel of Matthew opens, he finds out he'll need to take a detour because the woman he's engaged, is preg engaged to is pregnant and not by him. We know that Joseph felt fear when he was confronted with this deviation from his planned journey because an angel appears to him in a dream and his first words are, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary likely expected to be an ordinary Nazarene housewife, but she is knocked off course by Gabriel's news that she will bear the Son of God. And the road from Nazareth to Bethlehem was 80 miles and far from smooth, especially for a pregnant woman on foot or a donkey. And then there were the Magi, whom we just read about, Biblical scholars speculate that they were Zoroastrian priests who came from Persia, or modern-day Iran. This means that their road could have been at least a thousand miles long, and their only means of navigation was a mysterious star and an ancient prophecy. The Magi were literally strangers in a strange land. They were Gentiles unfamiliar with the local politics of Palestine, and their route led them through Jerusalem and right into the jaws of evil. When they asked if anyone could help them find the king of the Jews, they had no idea that Herod himself had already see, received that title from the Romans 30 years before. But because the Jews themselves never accepted that title, like so many who hunger for power, Herod was constantly paranoid about potential usurpers. So Herod did what evil and darkness and pride always do, lie. Herod tried to make the Magi believe that what he wanted was of God. The contemporary struggle that is roiling individuals and governments all over the world, the struggle to discern truth from falsehood, started with the serpent in the garden and traveled a road that went straight through Herod's palace. In all likelihood, the Magi did not worship the God of Abraham, yet he charted an alternate route, redirecting them from Herod's path and leading them to kneel before God's Son. The Magi listened to God's truth and ignored the decrees of a king to protect the welfare of a child. They did indeed prove to be very wise men. It would be so satisfying if the story ended here. I wish I could wrap up with a road metaphor with a Hallmark cliche, something like, as long as we follow the star, God will make our road straight and safe. John 1.5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is true. But the reason the light shines is because the darkness is so very pervasive. Mary and Joseph probably assumed that once they got back home to Galilee, their life might get back to normal. But Herod's wrath forces them onto yet another unknown road. God tells them to escape to Egypt, like so many refugees fleeing tyranny and oppression throughout the ages. 
And then Herod, desperate to bring down a potential rival for power, commits genocide in a chilling atrocity that we've come to know as the slaughter of the innocents. This scene rarely makes it into our sanitized modern Christmas pageants, but it appeared regularly in medieval depictions of Christmas, in paintings, plays, and songs like the Coventry Carol, which was one of the pieces that Debbie played on the violin earlier. It's no coincidence that this was also a period, the medieval period, during which the plague slaughtered between 30 and 50% of the European population. Illness and death and fear and uncertainty were constant companions, and the Bible's unflinching representation of human brutality reminded medieval Christians of just how necessary and how powerful the light of the gospel was. Both the ancient and the medieval church grew by leaps and bounds during plagues, not because Christians denied the reality of what was happening or got mad because they couldn't gather to worship, but because they risked their safety to care for the sick and bury the dead. Their actions showed unbelievers a new road, a powerful new way to live. The gospel doesn't ignore pain, and our road can't circumvent it. And just as we're called to minister to the pain of others, as those who tended to plague victims were in Europe, we have a duty to be curious about the sources and the meaning of our own sorrow. In the 42nd Psalm, which we read responsively, before the psalmist tells himself to put his hope in God, he repeatedly asks, why are you cast down, O my soul? He doesn't say, don't be cast down or look on the bright side, O my soul. He reflects, he looks inward. Finding your way means exploring the unmapped territory of your own soul, looking honestly at where you've come, where you are, and where you're going. Jesus did this. He regularly escaped the bustle of the crowds in search of solitude and deep communion with his father. He cried, felt anger and fear and loneliness. He knew that the road to Calvary would be a painful one, in the garden before he was crucified, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with grief to the point of death, and he pleaded for another way. No matter how lost or alienated you feel, no matter how strange the landscape of your sorrow, Jesus has walked that weary road too, and he is beside you as you walk it. When he took our place on the cross, Christ set us on another road, one that leads away from the despair of the tomb because all the Herods and all the plagues and all the lies masquerading as truth and all the empty chairs and the broken relationships, no matter how overpowering they seem, they don't get the last word. There's one more thing that I want to tell you about roads in the Bible. They tend to be places of transformation. The parable of the Good Samaritan takes place on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a windy, meandering road that drops from 1,200 feet above sea level to about 22 feet below sea level in 15 minutes. Jesus used this dangerous road as the setting for a story about a man who was beaten and robbed, ignored by the powerful, and cared for by the reviled. 
It was the essence of his world-altering ministry distilled into an on-the-road parable. On the road to Emmaus, two of the disciples encounter the risen Christ for the first time. At first, they don't believe they're seeing their Lord, but he guides them from hopelessness and doubt to celebration. And on the road to Damascus, a dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit transforms Saul, the dedicated persecutor of Christians, into the Apostle Paul, the man so on fire for Christ that he walked a road totaling some 10,000 miles and some water in there too, to spread the good news to the world. Your road may be dark and rocky and filled with steep ascents and deep valleys. You may fear what's around the next bend, but I promise you that God is waiting there for you, ready to transform your grief and your life in wonderful ways that are beyond your imagining right now. Hallmark wouldn't touch the story of a journey that began in the womb of a teenager and ended on a criminal's cross. But in darkness and poverty and pain, the world was made new. My prayer for you and for myself and for all of us in this dark season is that we will allow Christ to guide us on the road ahead, that we will be silent and attentive to how he wants to transform our pain into blessing, and that we will be filled with the certainty that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.